0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. So over the next couple weeks, Ted and I are going to be talking about the tension of Christmas. How many guys would agree that Christmas can have tension associated with it? Anybody? All right. Uh, we all know that there's stuff that happens during Christmas that we love, and then stuff that happens that we dread, and stuff that happens that we just kind of wait to see how it all works out. And so what a great time to talk about Jesus. What a great time to talk about what he brings to the table and and what it means to think about him during this Christmas season. Christmas is like my favorite holiday. How many of you guys like giving gifts better than getting them? Is there anybody else out there like that? Okay, I could care less if you buy me anything, though I do enjoy getting a, a gift every now and then. I'm just saying, youth. Throwing that out there. Uh, no, just kidding. But I do love giving them. I like thinking about them. I, I actually, uh, until this year, have gone to Black Friday every year by myself to like think about gifts and buy them. I, I love buying gifts. Uh, my wife has to like rein me in and say, honey, those things cost money that we don't have, so you can't buy that many. And I'm like, but they're so perfect. And she's like, yeah, but you know, so, you know, tension. Uh, I was listening to a story. As I was preparing for this sermon uh, about a guy in California, maybe you've heard this story, it happened last year, and his nativity scene was somewhat unique, and I think it set up the tension of Christmas a little bit. He had Jesus holding a shotgun over Santa, and this was like a big deal in California. There were lawsuits involved, there were people complaining, because he set this up right by a school bus stop. All right, so little kids are getting out of the bus and seeing Jesus killing Santa, and I'm like, well, and and, you know, he was like, it's Jesus triumphing over materialism, and I'm like, that's just wrong, but we have that tension, we have these things going on of of how we see Christmas and what's going on, I, I looked up some other stats, did you know? That 50% of 57, almost 60% of all US citizens feel it will be necessary to go into debt this year in order to pay for Christmas? That's crazy. 60%. That means sitting in this room, six out of 10 of everybody in this room will go into debt that they will carry for some time in order to pay for Christmas. I mean, we feel a burden on Christmas, don't we? I, it's crazy to me. How about this one? You guys ready for the biggest tension of Christmas? Artificial tree? Or real tree. Who does artificial in here? Who has gone the artificial route? Me too. I finally like gave in. My wife said, "I'm tired of trees dying in our house. You need to get uh, a tree, and it needs to be artificial and not die." And I was like, "Okay." So I finally gave in. Okay, finally, after years of giving in, finally gave in. All right, that's a big that's a big tension in our family. My wife grew up with. Artificial trees. We grew up with real ones. It's just how it was. How about Christmas lights? Do Christmas lights cause anyone tension in here? How about, like, have you ever had to, un- how many guys do this? I unravel Christmas lights. I did that until a couple years ago when I realized I could just go buy a new strand for 99 cents at Walgreens. <laughs> do any of you guys throw your Christmas lights out as soon as they get tangled? Is that just me? Okay. I, I donate mine. I don't throw them out. Salvation Army gets tangled lights. It's really sad. All right. Now, here's a crazy one. Get this. More people die during the Christmas season than any other time of the year. Can you believe that? That's like the saddest stat I've ever heard. And they have no idea why. They have no idea. Like, they've, they've studied it. They've researched it. And more people die during Christmas, during the season, than any other time of year. So, do me a favor, guys. Don't die. Okay? Don't let the tension get to you. But, you know, here we go. This is not a new concept. This idea of tension. Do you guys realize that since you've been born christmas has caused tension think about this as, as soon as you heard the christmas message that jesus came up to eventually die for our sins if that was necessary we are immediately thrown into the tension of the story we are sinners god is perfect there is tension right how many guys ever still even when we're saved don't we still feel that tension I'll hear the Christmas story and, and in my head I think, thank goodness for Christmas because I am a sinner. And that tension is immediately brought out that I sin and that God is holy and that Christmas is a resolution to that. But it brings it to my attention every year. It's, it's amazing. Um, we're going to talk about that tension today. We're going to talk about the tension between us and God. But we're going to also talk about a tension that we find in the story of Jesus and the very person of Jesus. When you look at across churches, most churches, 50% of the people sitting in the pews, in the really comfortable theater seating, whatever we're sitting in, don't believe that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And if they do believe it, they don't really believe that it's important or quite understand it. And so today we're going to talk about that tension in particular attention to the Christmas story, that Jesus came to us both fully 100% God. What is it with this microphone in me? Every time, me me and Stephen even, like, prepped it so it would be right. Stephen, what's going on here? It's on you this time. All right? Okay, so, even though he's 100% fully God, he's 100% fully man. And if you guys are like me, I'm a math teacher. You can't be 100% of something and 100% of something. That doesn't work sometimes but it, it can be confusing how can i be a hundred percent how can jesus be a hundred percent god and and a hundred percent man at the same time and how does that work and what does that mean to us so we're going to get into that a little bit so let's look at this verse first jesus is fully god in colossians 1 15, and 16 it says this for in him all things were created Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you hear the attributes of God here? He is all-powerful. He has always existed. And if you read through this, and you're reading Paul here in Colossians, you will see that the he he is referring to Is Jesus. This is not Paul referring to God. This is Paul talking directly about Jesus. Jesus has the attributes of God, according to Paul. There is no difference between God and Jesus. And this has been an issue that has been going on since the beginning of of all, all Christendom. Do we see Jesus as God? Do we see him as equal and the same as God? And the Bible reaffirms this over and over. Jesus made no mistakes about it. He said, I and the Father, we're the same. We are one. We are identical. And it's really important that we grasp this. More heresies, more cults, more issues have have grown up around this one idea that is Jesus really fully God? And if he is, what do we do with it? Guys, this is one of those areas where if we can grasp that he is fully God, we gain so much in our faith. We gain so much. Listen to this next verse in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Paul's on a roll here, so he keeps talking about it. He says, For God was pleased to have all, all, all is a key word here, his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, God was perfectly content to have all his fullness represented in Jesus. We're told here that even God recognizes Jesus is God. That's God the Father sees Jesus as equal. They're separate persons, but they're equal. God acknowledges it in this verse through Paul. So what do these verses tell us? First, we've got to understand that the Bible is very, very clear on this. It makes no room for interpretation. Jesus is fully God. If you're going to believe the Bible, you have to accept that the Bible says Jesus is fully God. And and I know at times I struggle with that. There's issues. There's there's things in my life that says, well, if God is fully God, and there's some things about the Trinity that, that when I really sit down and try to wrap my frail human mind around, I struggle with. But what I don't struggle with is what the Bible says. The Bible is so crystal clear on this, that Jesus is fully God. Okay, We have to understand that if we don't get this, if we don't see this, if we don't accept this, that we are, we are playing with dangerous theology, that it is going to lead us down a path that is not healthy. The early church dealt with this constantly. They would, they would, they would have the Gnostics and the and the Doeticists and these other groups that would come along and say, you know what, it's not important that Jesus was God. He eventually became God, or or they would have some kind of view of this that wasn't right, and their their belief system would just go off the rails. It would start here. When we when we grab this and when we own this, when we believe that God is fully god jesus is fully god then this is the base of our faith this is where we can grow and say okay i believe in a savior that's fully god and the things that come out of that allow our faith to get deep if you take jesus's deity away if you take the fact that he's god away everything everything we believe falls apart The entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is based on the fact that Jesus was coming and that Jesus was God and that Jesus could save us. It is key to the message of the Bible. Now, the one that we don't have as much trouble with, okay? Sometimes we struggle with that Jesus is God thing, but for some reason, most of us don't struggle with Jesus as man. Some of us do, some of us don't, but for the most part, we're okay and we can accept Jesus as man. But what we got to understand is at the same time that Jesus was fully, fully, 100% God, Jesus was fully man. Do you guys see the tension here? Do you guys see that this can cause problems? If you're an unbeliever, how do we explain that? How do we explain that, yeah, if, if he says, well, Jesus was just a man, you're right. Jesus was fully man. But he was also fully God. And I think this is one of those issues that if we can really get a grasp on and really understand how that's possible to happen at both times, then when we're talking to people, we can make sense of that for other people. But also when we hit these tensions in our life where it's necessary to see God as man, and there's times, and when it's necessary to see God as God, and there's times, that we have both of those beliefs firmly in our pocket, and we firmly understand them. So let's talk about Jesus being man. We have a couple of different references to this. They're all throughout the New Testament. Uh, Philippians 321 is one of them. Paul is talking about Jesus who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul is saying one day our bodies will be like Christ. We will be transformed into a glorious body, but a physical body. The word Paul uses here in Greek means physical flesh and bones body. So Paul is affirming to us, in one verse he says, Jesus is fully God. And then here in Philippians, he says, Jesus is fully man. And then Jesus makes no mistake. Jesus himself says, hey, let's make sure you understand. In Luke 24, 39, he says, see my hands, my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So Jesus, when he comes back from the dead, goes to people and says, touch, feel, see that I'm real. I mean, people are sticking fingers. It's totally gross to me, but they're like, he's like, hey, I got like holes in my hand from nails. Stick your fingers in there. I'm like, no, thank you. I'm I'm good. I believe you, Jesus. But Thomas was like, yeah. All right. He's like poking Jesus's stuff. Gross. But what we see here is that Jesus is fully man, fully real body. When we get to heaven, Jesus will be something we can touch and see and hug and love and physically relate to. Right. So. We need to see that his human nature is important. Okay? Here's where it gets interesting. How many of you guys understand what the law is in terms of the Bible? Okay? Let's just do a little history review here if you don't. The law is the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. It's what God said: hey, if you do all of this, all of these rules in the law, if you follow all of these you will be considered holy. If you mess up on any of them, you will need to sacrifice and you will need to kind of pay a penance in order to be holy again and be righteous in my sight because sin is separating us. And so it was the thing that let us know we were sinners. It was the rules that opened our eyes to the fact that we we break rules. And here's the thing. The law only applies to us. The law doesn't apply to angels. The law doesn't apply to God. God doesn't need the law. He's perfect. He doesn't need regulations to know that he's perfect. God made the law for us. So we could see that we were fallen, and we could see that we were sinners, and we could see that we needed him. So Jesus can't come to earth as fully God without coming as fully man. Because the whole point of coming is to fulfill the law. Jesus in the New Testament said, I have come to fulfill the law. In order order to make it right for you guys. I've come to make it perfect. I've come to make it right. I've come to live by the law. Do it perfectly so that I will be in a place where I can pay for your sins. That's an amazing story. And, And it makes the tension make sense. Because without... The need to come as human. He probably didn't have to do that. He probably could have just come as God. But because we're bound by the law. He had to be bound by the law. God can't be bound by the law. He had to come as a human. He had to come as fully human. Now being bound by the law. He can live a perfect life. And be in a place where he is righteous. Where he has earned the right. To give up his life. To pay the penalty for us. Do you see how important it is. That Jesus was fully Human it's key, equally key him being fully God, but fully human is super important for our salvation. Really, really important. okay Only a human can be bound by the law. So let's talk about some problems with this. How many guys have ever had some issues with, with God or Jesus being fully God and fully man? Anybody ever come across anything in the Bible that gave you pause on this? Maybe when when I read it, I come across things that I have to think about and I have to figure out, well, how would this work? Then if Jesus was fully God, one of them is the passage where it says only the father. Jesus is saying only the father fully knows the time of his return. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if only God, the father knows the time of his return. Right. Then Jesus doesn't know. And if Jesus doesn't know, then he doesn't know something. And God is all knowing. Therefore, Jesus isn't God. What do I do with that? And, I, and, and there's others. Jesus died, right? Jesus died for our sins. How does God die? Have these ever problem? Have, you, have these problems ever gone through your head? How does God die? I mean, that's a big one. Do you understand that even if that problem hasn't gone through your head, there's unbelievers out there that you're talking to about Jesus, and in their head they're saying, well, you're saying he's God, but God died. What do I, what, what do I want to believe in a God that dies for? Do we have an answer for that? What about when he said, before Abraham was born, I am. He was claiming to be alive before Abraham. Abraham was thousands of years earlier. Physically, that's not possible. So if he came as a human, how physically would he be alive? And and we've got issues. They're they're there. Okay, And, And we have to resolve these things. When we see these issues, and there's more, those are just three that came immediately to mind. When we see issues in the Bible, we have to look at what the overall Bible says. We have to look at the truth of the Bible, and we have to say, okay, if we believe the Bible to be true, how does this work out? It's how you're supposed to read it. You're supposed to accept, pre-basis accept that the Bible is true. We're going to start out with that bias. I'll admit, I start out with that bias that the Bible is true. And then when I look at it, I don't check out and say mentally, well, the Bible's true, therefore I don't have to think about that. I think that's unhealthy. I think we should look at problems, and we should... Say, okay, I don't get this, but there must be an explanation. There must be a way to see this. So let's go through these, and I'll show you a couple examples of how we get through some of these problems. Only the father's knowing the time. If you read that in the Greek, which I don't read Greek, but I can look up individual words, okay, and I can pull out important words and look at them and see what they really mean. What it's saying there is that is the father's authority. It is the father's call. Between Jesus and the father, he was the one that made the call. He was the one that said, this is when the time will be, and the Father knows. Now, Jesus has two natures. He has a spiritual nature, and he has a human nature, right? So Jesus, in his spiritual nature, in his acting as deity, knew the time and the place of his return. What he was saying there was, it's the Father's authority. I am acting under the Father's authority in this. This is his call. He's the one that knows. He's the one that decides. And I'm acting under his authority. But he knew. He was fully God. So when, you would, when you, in this one, when you look at the words and you see how they fit together, you realize that what he's saying here is God knows. God decides. I know too. So that's one way to look at it. Jesus died. Okay, Jesus died on the cross. Do you realize that the Bible tells us that his spirit never died? That during those three days he was actively working and doing things? His spirit was active? And that he raised from the dead physically? Go back to that dual nature. Go back to that tension. Go back to that idea that Jesus was a physical human being. His physical body died. His spirit never died. Jesus did not experience death. He just experienced physical death. His body was raised to life. His spirit was always there. Again, we have that dual nature going on. God is human. God as... Or Jesus is God. Right? And then uh, before Abraham was born, I am. That's another one that we go back to God. Jesus wasn't always physical. He became physical to be here on earth. And we're going to go into that a little deeper in a second. But he was always God. If you had... Ted's going to be talking about the first chapter of John uh, next week. Uh, Don't miss that. It's it's one of my favorite things he talks about. Uh, And and he's going to talk about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And, And so John claims that Jesus was there from the beginning, that everything that came into being was spoken through Jesus, the Word. Okay, So again, we get to see this God nature come into play it helps us explain so much of the New Testament when we realize that God was both fully man and fully God. That We get to see that working throughout the New Testament. Man, it means a lot for our faith. As I go through this, I start thinking to myself, what does it, what does it do for us? So this tension, what does it do? This tension of God being human and God and Jesus being God. How does that affect my faith and and my belief. And what do I do with that? And and how will I walk away from studying this deeper in love with the Christ I follow? And and I come up with some interesting things. Uh, how many you guys knew that I was in the Navy? Anybody? Okay, I was a nuclear engineer in the Navy. I was actually a rocket scientist. Um, believe it or not. Um, I know that's hard to believe. You're like, really? Yeah, really? Um, see, really? <laughs> I try not to show that. Um, so... It works, I know. Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. I'm leaving now. No. So in the Navy, we, we were in a situation in uh, training where we were working on uh, ship lines, uh, running uh, what am- amounts to a really thick rope back and forth between ships. And so sometimes you will run these ropes between a ship and the dock, and sometimes you'll run it between a ship and another ship, okay? Uh, it just depends on what you're trying to do. Well, these ropes are really, really big. You guys get the idea here? Some of these ropes are like, okay, big. Can't even lift them. They're that big. Um, And and here's the deal. When you get an aircraft carrier, which is a floating city, okay, 6,000 people live on an aircraft carrier. Plus all the equipment and everything that goes with that. All the airplanes, all the stuff that goes, 6,000 people. So, when I tie a rope off on a ship and it's holding that aircraft carrier somewhere, how much tension do you think is in that rope? Okay? We're taught in the Navy it's enough to kill you if you do it wrong. Okay? If you tie it off and, and there's too much tension, the rope will break, the strands will come off at, at incredible speeds, and, and they, can, they can take off arms, and it's, it's really gruesome. They show us these videos. Blah. All right? Um, but they also teach us that if you don't, if you you get too much tension in a rope, sometimes you can get tied up in, in, in one. And the only way to relieve that tension is to get another rope with more tension in it. Does that make sense? That if I'm tied up in a rope and there's tension in that rope, the only way I can relieve that tension because these ropes are so big is to tie off another rope next to it, put tension in that rope, pull myself a little closer until the rope I'm tied up in releases. And then that releases and frees me. Okay, so what the basic rule in the Navy is tension relieves tension. Okay, tension relieves tension. We're taught that. I I was taught that. I don't know if you guys are taught that, but I was taught that. And so as I read this story, I start to realize that my tension between God is a result of my sinful nature. I have tension between me and God, and and I still do because I still sin. And that tension is something I can't resolve. It's too big. It's too large. It's too much. There's no way I can pull on that rope and resolve that tension. But then Jesus comes into the picture. And this tension in Jesus between him being God and him being man, and this tension that I have to work through, relieves my tension. Him being fully God and fully man brings salvation, and that salvation relieves my tension between myself and God. Tension relieves tension. So here's here's some of the things I come up with. When I'm looking at Jesus as God, first of all, I get to see what God looks like. Do you realize that? When we read about Jesus, we're reading about God, we get to see on a level we can understand what God is like. So when Jesus came as fully God, it was to reveal to us what God was like how He would operate, how He would work in our world, what He expected, how He lived, we got to see God. If, God, if Jesus didn't come as fully God, we would have never seen that. We would have never been able to understand the relationship between us and God. Because He's God, He's able to pay for our sins. See, no one but God can, can pay for our sins. He's the only Perfect entity we have He's the only one with the power and the authority to deal with sin sin is against god He's the only one that can forgive it So jesus has to be god if he's going to deal with our sins and because he's god I can have faith that my sins can finally be dealt with It's the it's the key to resolving my tension because jesus is god My sins Are forgiven What a relief He has the ability to empower us. Because he's God, he has ultimate authority over all things. We read that in Colossians. So when he gives us a task or he gives us something that seems too big or too much or life is overwhelming, we have a Jesus, a Savior who is fully God and able to say, I got this. I control it all. Your money, I made money. Your problem in marriage, I made marriage. Whatever it is, I'm God. I made all things, all things that came into being, came into being because I said they would be. So I have ultimate control. Oh, what a relief that is. sounded like a commercial. Okay? What a relief that I can see a problem and I can go to Jesus in full faith that he has the power to deal with it. He's just not another man. I'm so sad when I listen to all these people talk about their other religions and they have no relief Because they don't serve a man who can do anything about it I serve A jesus who is both man and god. How wonderful Oh, I love it Because he's god. He is eternal Because he's god. That means my security in salvation is assured I'm not more powerful than God. Once I give my life to him, there's nothing I can do to separate myself from him, I'm told. I'm told that he is ultimately faithful, ultimately good, completely powerful, completely faithful. So that when I give my life over to him, I am assured I am saved because he is God. Are you beginning to see how important it is that we understand that Jesus is fully God, what it does to our faith, what it does to our lives, what it allows us to think like and live like. I don't have to live scared. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live that it's not going to work out because Jesus paid it all. Jesus is our God who cares. I love it. Now, if you have been around my family at all during playtimes, times, okay, uh, we have this game called uh, Take Dad Down for $5. Okay, and the, and the thing is, I say who wants five dollars, and all my children want five dollars because they're at that age where five dollars is still something large, right? When when they turn twenty, I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay, who wants a hundred bucks? I don't have it. Too bad. Um, right. So right now, five bucks is exciting for all of them. And so what I do is I get down on all fours. I get down like this, right here. And if they can make my chest touch the ground, they get five dollars. And all four of them get to play at once. So far, they've never taken me down. I don't let my children win. Okay, you guys might be, well, everybody gets a medal. No, they don't. All right, the winner gets a medal, that's it. All right, so in my family. Now, however you do yours is fine, but in my family, only the winners get medals, and my kids lose a lot. And so, I think it's a good lesson. All right, so, um, so far... In, we've been doing this since Emma was a baby, so about uh, eight years. In eight years, I am undefeated. Okay? And I take great pride in that. It doesn't matter that I'm eight times their size. Okay? I am going to hold on. I don't know what Again, when they turn 20, I'm, I'm a little bit more wondering if I'm still going to be undefeated. However, I will figure out a way to cheat and stay undefeated. That's what dads do. Okay? Now, here's the deal. Why do I get down on the floor and let my children lose? Does anybody know why I get down on the floor? Why don't I just say, okay, I'm here, bring it. I'm on their level. See, what I do this for is not so I can beat my children down and and let them suffer the despair of ever winning against their father, though that's part of it. Why I do it is because when I'm down here, they can see my face. We are eye to eye face-to-face there are times in logan my little one when i'm not paying attention and i'm on this level will grab my face with his chubby little hands and he will it's the only part of him that's chubby i don't understand that right and he will turn my head until i'm eye to eye and he has my attention and then he will speak the only time he speaks quietly he will quietly tell me something that's important to him do you guys realize that if i never got down on his level that would never happen I am so glad we serve a God who was willing to come down on our level. Because I serve a God that I can see face to face. I serve a God that even though ultimately more powerful, even though I will never win, I know loves me because he gets down on my level and plays on my level. Jesus being God is impressive, but Jesus coming down as human is to me Really, really important, too, for that reason. I can relate to Jesus. I read the stories about Jesus, and I'm like, man, I know just what you're talking about. I've been there. When Peter betrays Jesus, when Jesus is in the garden all alone, I've had moments where that has been the sole thing that is encouraging me. When I feel alone and left by myself, I can think, man, Jesus knows exponentially more how that feels than I do. And when I go to pray to Jesus in that moment, I can say, Jesus, you know what this is like. How did you get through it? How did you deal with it? Can you give me what you had in that moment? Because I know you understand. See, we have a high priest who is sympathetic to our suffering. In every other religion, they're distant. They're far away. They haven't come close. Jesus has come right here. He was tortured and beaten he was he was abandoned he was alone he had friends he had intimate friends he had people he was trying to get to understand what he was doing he had enemies he had family he had people that he wept over when he, he experienced loss everything about jesus is something i can identify to and i would never would have gotten that if jesus had come as fully god forget the fact that he had to come as fully man because of the law. I never would have had a relationship with him that I could understand if he hadn't come as fully man. So Jesus didn't do this on accident. He didn't just say, Hey, technically I have to come this way because otherwise the law, blah, 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 right? It was important. It was part of it. But to, to me, Jesus came so we could have personal, physical, real relationship It's huge, it's huge, huge. I can't speak today. When we pray, we pray to a God that knows intimately, intimately what we're going through because he experienced it. So not as he not only is he incredibly powerful and incredibly able to deal with all our issues, to take care of us, to love us, to help us through everything, he is also incredibly intimate with the experience. And so not how to explain this. Have you ever had anybody that came and just fixed things for you? And while it's great to have it fixed, did you miss out on the relationship? Have you ever had something fixed and walked away saying, Man, thanks for fixing it, I guess, but what I really wanted was just to kind of spend some time, I'd like to fix it with you. I would have liked to have been a part of it. I would have liked to be in relationship with you. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, my wife knows. I'm a fixer. So when my wife comes to me with a problem, she really doesn't have a problem. She might have a problem. I don't know. Okay? But what she wants is for me not to fix the problem, but I'm a, I'm a fixer. It's what I do. I fix things. She's like, well, what about this? I'm like, if you do this, this, she's like, that's not what I needed. I'm like, then why didn't you tell me? Right. What she wants is someone who has intimately experienced what she's going through and is sympathetic. She'll take the fix. But the fix is unimportant to her if I don't relate to her. So while I don't quite understand that, I have experienced it. Jesus gets it way more than I do. Because if you look at every time he sat down with somebody, it was about the relationship more than it was about the fix. Every time. The woman at the well, he talks with her for hours. Zacchaeus, he goes over to a short guy's house. I can identify with that. I'm just saying. Peter messes up time and time and time again. I heard one person describe Peter as the man with the foot-shaped mouth. I love that description. Describes me, right? And I think, man, Jesus was so faithful. What a good friend Jesus was. He never quit on Peter. I'm sure he was frustrated. I'm, I'm sure there's times he like, Ugh, if only you were Jacob and I could wrestle with you, right? I'm sure there were times, but he was faithful. He was intimately concerned about Peter. And eventually, look at these people. Look at what they became. Zacchaeus gives away all his belongings. Because he wants to be closer with Jesus and he doesn't want those in between. How much did that relationship change Zacchaeus? Look at Peter. Peter eventually becomes one of the greatest leaders of the church we know. Because Jesus never quit him. Paul, a mass murderer, is converted to Christianity and spends the rest of his life explaining to us how this works. And how it's real so that we can live it in a real way. This all comes from the fact that Jesus intimately knows what we went through and he can talk to us in a way that would be impossible unless he had been fully human. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who kn- knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Bottom line, this is what I think. I think the, the tension of Christ again relieves the tension between us and God that was the purpose every aspect was necessary every part was necessary we needed the full tension of who Christ was both man and God to exist so that our tension between God and us could be fully resolved see and and, and now when i look at christmas when i'm when i'm hearing this message of christ and knowing why he came and knowing the dynamic behind it i start to realize that even though I am a Christian, even though that I follow Christ, even, even though that my heart is fully for Him, there's still tension in my life in areas I have not been able to give up or areas that I struggle with or fears that I have. And I have hope. I have hope that Christ and the tension of who He is will one day resolve all of that. And one day I will be in heaven with Christ and I will be fully relieved of the tension of this life. And while I'm struggling with the tension of this life, I am fully under a God who both understands and can do something about it. Oh. I just want to go out and live that life. Every time I think about it, every time I talk about it, I'm just like that's I want. To resolve my tension through Christ. Christmas, no big deal. I've got Christ. Marriage issues, no big deal. I've got Christ. My children growing up, whoo. You guys that have teenagers, I've watched you. My hair is already turning gray and they're not even teenagers. I have Christ. I have Christ. Job issues, I'm not worried. I've got Christ. He is both God and He understands my worries. Guys, this issue, this understanding, and really grabbing on to that he is fully God and 100% fully man does something to our faith that nothing else can. Spend some time this week. If you are a Christian in this room, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, the challenge this week is to spend some time and really get into that idea. Look in Scripture, read a little bit. Go online. Guys, you would not believe the resources online. If you're not sure, go to gotquestions.com. They do a great job of explaining a lot of things. They give verses. They give things you can follow up on. Go spend some time in this and see what happens to your faith. Knowing that Christ was God awakens your faith to a whole new level. Knowing Christ was human lets you have an assurance that he knows you and loves you on a level you could have never been loved otherwise. Guys, spend some time in this. Now, if you're sitting in here and you don't know Christ, see, what I want to tell you is I serve a Jesus who loves you. I serve a Christ who knows you, who knows everything that will ever happen to you, who knows it and has experienced it and understands you, understands the difficulty and the pain and the trouble you have because he experienced it firsthand. And I know a Christ that can do something about it because he is God. And that Christ who is God is powerful. You guys, are you guys with me? Do we serve a powerful God? We do. You can believe that. The Bible says it over and over again. Talk to the lives of the Christians in this room. They all have a story of how God has been powerful. Every single one of them has experienced that, if only to know that Jesus lives within them and they are finally relieved from the weight of sin. And if you want that, see, today, Christmas, the rest of the weeks that we're talking about Christmas, that is what you're going to hear, is that Jesus loves you. Jesus is God. And those two things will change your life. So if you're sitting in here today, I don't want one more day to go by where you don't get to experience a God who loves you and knows you and is powerful enough to change your life in ways you never imagined. So I just want to take a minute. What we're going to do is we're going to, in a minute, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray because that's what we do. We like to pray here. And if you're new and you don't know God and you're sitting here, man, I would love to know a God like that. Jesus is saying, I am right here. I am physically able to take care of all of the things that are troubling you and so the the prayer is simple and in John three sixteen, it says whosoever believes in him in Romans it tells us if we believe in our hearts and confess in our mouth that Christ is Lord then we are saved and we are in that relationship going forward a relationship that can't be broken will never hurt us will only help us and so I want to invite you into a relationship with Christ the same one I have the same one the people sitting around you have And so let's bow our heads. And and if you are that person, then it's a pretty simple prayer. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, if if you're a person who wants to be a Christian, this is the prayer. God, I'm a sinner. I know that sin puts tension between you and me. And that Jesus came to resolve that. And that Jesus came to save me and know me and love me, and I want that. God, I pray right now that you'll come into my life and give me that relationship. Forgive me of my sins. Take the weight of sin off. And be a savior I can know and be on the same level with. God, be Lord of my life. Now, heads, just keep keep your heads bowed for a minute. And if if you've prayed that prayer so I know, so I can pray for you, so I can follow up with you, would you just look up at me and raise your hand so I can see you? Thank you. Awesome. God, thank you for these guys that got to know you tonight or today. God, I just pray right now that this walk starts and and becomes something amazing. God, that we are here as a church to walk with them. And that if they need anything, we are here for them. God, right now I pray for the Christians in the room, the people that know you and love you, that knowing that you're fully God and knowing that you're fully man will allow us to have a deeper relationship with you this week. That we can go out and and count on something from you because you're God. And be able to know you understand because you were human. And God, that that grows our faith in you. And through that, other people get to know you. God, that we are not afraid to talk about you as a man that was fully God and fully man. And that that was special and amazing. Thank you for everything you are. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.